Rodrigo, what do you think of uh, shrimp and pasta stew? Uh, that sounds pretty good. You like garlic's, garlic skillet meatballs? Yeah. What did you have for dinner tonight? I had a hot dog. A hot dog? Yeah. Do you know what is in a hot dog? Uh, no. That, and I prefer to keep it that way. Okay. Here's what you need to do. You need to go to HelloFresh.com. Okay. HelloFresh.com has everything you need to make a good, healthy meal like apricot glazed chicken in 35 minutes or less. Cooking made easy. Here's what happens. Every week, the chefs at HelloFresh create delicious recipes. You pick what you like. So maybe you don't like uh, uh, apricot glazed chicken, although I know you like apricots. And uh, chicken. And chicken. Perhaps you would like, I don't know, something vegetarian. They have vegetarian meals. You pick them out. What they do is they send all the ingredients that you need to make something delicious directly to your door. Great ingredients. Farm fresh ingredients. And then you don't have to worry about it. Wow. It's right there at your door. You cook it. You make it. You eat it. You're not eating hot dogs. You're not eating fast foods. You're not. And I'm glad they don't they don't have hot dogs, because if they send you all the ingredients of a hot dog, that would be pretty terrible. (laughs) Listeners, you can visit HelloFresh and check out if they deliver in your area. And when you use the checkout code MAJOR50, check this out. You get 50% off your first weekly delivery. 50%? 50% off just by using the checkout code MAJOR50. That's HelloFresh.com. We thank them for supporting this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. This week's Major Spoilers Podcast goes out to the following fine and faithful spoilerettes. William Gibson, Robert Graham Jamel, Janos Stripek, Dwayne Harder, Jeffrey Sire, Tanjan Ming, Nathan Olson, Cody Dixon, Jeremy McVeigh, Brian Ganninger, Brian Ganninger, William Hathcock, Julia Chung, Alan Bruce, Jordan Medina, Jason Perry, Ivan Peterson, Michelle Nielsen, Daniel Weiss, Joseph Calarudo, Marcello Poblete Alarcon, Darren Apple, Thomas Duda, that was fun there for a minute, Charles Albaugh, Adam Connor, Joseph Stilwell, Chad Shuttleworth, Trevor Utvalidit, Eric Steele, Cheryl Annette Baker, and Courtney Phillips, fine and faithful spoilerites all. We'd love to have your name join them in the hallowed ranks of spoilerosity. So head over to members.majorspoilers.com, sign up and allow a future Major Spoilers production to go out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Hi, Matthew. I'm Zach. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans just like you. In this issue, Nerdery, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Spoiler Prize, its continuing mission to explore strange new comics, to seek out new movies and new television, to boldly split infinitives that pretty much everyone has already split before. So live long and prosper. Remember the old Klingon proverbs. Only Nixon could go to China and only Stephen could edit out all of our jackassery every show and be glad of that because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 576 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. And Rodrigo, we want to make sure that everybody knows that we thank them for sharing this episode with a friend. Yes. Thank you for giving this to someone else. (laughs) <laughs> like a like disease a right? yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like but it's a good disease like mono or something that you get through kissing 
we are here terrible. to talk about comic books and pop culture and all sorts of cool things like the news that a director has been just uh, has just been uh, picked up for the Doctor Strange movie. Yes. <gasps> just happened. Just happened. Do 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 do. Go for it, Zach. News. What do we know? Hey. Uh, what do we know is That's that my bit. Uh, recently today that Marvel started uh, well, a rumor started spreading that Marvel had selected a, a director for uh, their Doctor Strange movie, which has long been talked about and rumored through the hallways of comic book movies, and uh, hadn't been official yet. But then uh, Scott Derkerson? Derrickson Derrickson uh, tweeted out an image saying that his next movie would be strange, holding and he, and he hel- holding up a Doctor Strange comic book, which is interesting. Now, of course, uh, this is still very early yes. in the news because uh, Marvel has not come out and said yes, we. No. Uh, do this, but there was some brouhaha earlier last weekend or this past weekend about uh, finding a director for Ant Man, right? And of course, that fell through. And I think this time right. people are not jumping on the "Hey, we got the inside exclusive. We know this is uh-huh. right" for fear that they're gonna that the same thing's gonna happen again. So I think mm-hmm. that everyone's pretty mm-hmm. comfortable with this knowledge that uh, that uh, Scott Der- Derrickson yeah. uh, will take and, on uh, Doctor Strange. And interesting that Marvel would put this out there right now. As really, Ant Man is kind of getting away from them. Mm-hmm. I would expect. I mean, Adam McKay was kind of the guy over the weekend. They thought that he was in advance talks with, and he would sign a deal and he would take over. Uh, and people thought this could probably be pretty true since he'd worked with Paul Rudd on a couple films before, and that they would just go on their merry way and make Ant Man. But uh, he pulled out, said he was too busy, and didn't want to go ahead with them. So that's I don't know. That's kind of getting away from them. They Here, should be shooting right now. Here's what's well for Ant Man certainly. Yeah. I mean, it was supposed to start June one. Yeah. And that's so that was several days ago that they should have started. Yeah. And even though the cast says that they're still on board, I think we're going to see some cast changes before Oof. things. Uh, and th- that would be the f- really first big flub up of Marvel Phase Three. Yeah. Of well, of anything. Really. I mean, I guess Iron Man well, Two had some. Let's stuff. look at let's look at some of the uh, properties that have been over at some of the other studios. Well, I'm. Well, I mean, our but, but he, right, right. Right. Yeah, he means yeah. he means Marvel's There's right. some house stuff. Ranking right. in the rinks. Well, yeah, I mean, I can understand, though. I mean, the thing with this, and I understand why Edgar Wright walked, and we talked a little bit about this last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, really, if they're going to bring everybody under the same umbrella, you can't have a movie that's not part of the Marvel continuity anymore. Right. It just isn't going to work. Um, so we'll see how they how they handle this. And slowly the spine of the Marvel Universe starts to split. Absolutely. We talked about it a little bit, uh, or actually we talked about it at length in a previous show, mm-hmm. um, but that is what happens. This is, it's it's amazing to see this happen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like when you have three comics that all talk to each other mm-hmm. back in the 60s, you were like, oh, everything that happens here happens here. That's amazing. That's so cool. It's cool that there's a shared continuity. But as more and more properties get added to it, it becomes heavier, cumbersome, and it starts to stifle that creativity. Yeah. And you start you start getting uh, writers who walk. I mean, think about uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, we saw in Thor, for mm-hmm. example came out of some of the original stuff, some of the ultimate stuff, and some of the Straczynski stuff. Right. Straczynski left Thor because they wanted to bring it in with, uh, I want to say Siege yeah, yeah, or yeah. something it like was, that. It was, or no, wasn't it? Um, Secret Invasion, Secret Invasion. maybe. Yeah, I think or that's one what of it the was. Secret Invasion like follow-ups yeah, or something yeah. like that. And he was like, no, I'm, st- I'm telling this story about Thor in Oklahoma. Yeah. And they were which like, no. Nope. Yeah, great which run. was great. And that, that uh, that's what I understand happened. Yeah. Um, and it's like 
this is the exact same thing. It's it's basically happening. We saw it, you know, they say that people who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Yes. It's like we're seeing history repeat itself. Oh, yes. And we're going to see it happen many, 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 many more times in the Well, uh, maybe not, years. because here's the thing. We've seen it happen many, many times when we're talking about an industry that brings in thousands of dollars right, right. in comic <laughs> books. But when you're talking about an industry that brings in billions of dollars... It's you're not going to get a lot of shots to screw it up. Sure. You've got six chances with the uh, with Spider-Man already. Five chances. <laughs> and you're doing it again with the Fantastic Four. Uh, Except those movies aren't what I'm talking about. No, because they're not in that canon. Right. But right. they but in 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 terms of we screwed it up. Let's do it again. Uh, right. I don't think they're doing that again. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't, it's I don't because think that applies, though. Yeah. I, mean, I think I mean, in both cases, there's other motivations here. They, they're they yeah. going to redo it because, well, if they don't, they lose their yeah, right. property. They lose the property. Here's the thing, going back to Doctor Strange. Here's the thing that I think is real interesting. Uh, Derrickson, here's uh, two movies that he's directed. The Exorcism of Emily Rose mm-hmm. and Sinister. Right. Two horror movies. Right. This sounds like it could get really good. Because Again. we do know that directors tend to favor... A certain style, a certain mm-hmm. look, and they're attracted to projects that are in their wheelhouse. Again, the brilliance of Marvel Studios, right? They gave uh, Iron Man to Favreau, they yeah. gave Thor to Brana, right. and they gave Ant-Man to Wright. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're giving, you know, the the spookiest guy yeah. to a horror director. It's a really smart move, mm-hmm. but he is signing up to match the Whedon right. style yes. of... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think it can be done. Oh, I, I think it there's probably can. There's already a darkness in there. I think the problem is going to be how do they build this arcane power in the midst of the, you know, the whole doody-doody-do, everything is technology and alien technology. And even Asgard is written off as being not arcane, but, you know, advanced alien civilization. But wouldn't it be more impactful... If Doctor Strange comes along and does something that no one can explain with science, yes, not even as long as you never say impactful to me again, I'll agree with you. Impactful? <laughs> it, it reminds him that he hasn't gone to the dentist anytime recently. Who do you guys want to so, see as as uh, Doctor Strange? Ooh, Jim Caviezel, Johnny Depp, Jeffrey Just Combs. Kidding. Jeffrey Combs is way too old. I don't care. Jeffrey Combs is like sixty-seven years old. Burt so? Lancaster. So. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Um, ageist. Um, I'm not saying ageist. I'm saying they're not going to want that character to be 67 years old. Now, do they want him to be older than the general Marvel hero? I don't know. What? And I mean, they've got Iron Iron Man's a 54 year old. Robert Downey Jr. is kind of old. Yeah. He's 54. But he's if 54, you, I, mean, I didn't even think he was that old. Yeah, he's over 50. <sighs> but if you look at, you know, you look at that's, Doctor that's Strange, more than twice as old as Zach is. Yeah, man. Yeah. You need somebody who can bring the creepy, creepy. But you also need somebody who's effective, I think, as a central heroic protagonist. And I don't mm-hmm. think Jeffrey Coombs. Robert De Niro. Has, has Andy that. Sandberg. Uh, Andy Robert Downey Sandberg. Jr. Sandberg is only 49. Uh-huh. Jeffrey Coombs is only uh, 59. Or, yeah, 49. 59. 59. Clearly, um, I'm, I'm brought What about uh, Stephen Colbert? Stephen <laughs> Colbert, Stephen Strange. That's, that would be interesting, but I don't think they'll do it. He just signed a pretty big gig. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but, it but it only happens when Letterman decides he's going to retire, and he hasn't really decided when he's going to retire yet. 20, early 2015. 2015, there's plenty of time to shoot a movie before then. What if they... Uh, can <laughs> Not they, well, put I mean, together. I don't know. Yeah, no. I don't know. Oh, I know. Uh, Kit Harrington. Who's that? 
He's uh, Jon Snow on Game of Thrones. Oh, there you go. Oh. He's pretty hot and popular, right? Yep, he yeah. is. He's got the hair color for it. Yeah. They, can, they just kind of have and to gray his gray temples temple? a little bit. Why, why would they have to gray his temples? Well, you know, Steve... Because uh, he's older? Cause, well, because Doctor Strange, Doctor, has, Doctor Strange has that kind of thing. Since 1963? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they did it to Reed Richards, who was played yeah, by yeah, a 30-year-old 30 30 guy. guy. <laughs> what about David Tennant? Huh? I mean, it's a little on the nose, but can't you see him, like, really throwing himself into that role and playing Doctor Strange? Granted, probably with some sort of fun accent, but... yeah. I, I think I'd really like yeah, to see, see it. Who would have picked Josh Brolin as Thanos? Not me. Uh, didn't he play Jonah Hex? Yes, he did. It's just a voice gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's that, got was good- an- that was announced uh, this week as well, or this past week as well, that he'll be joining the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie and uh, presumably the upcoming Avengers 3 or 2, two. Uh, Age of Ultron movie. So uh, that's pretty yeah, cool. That'll be, I mean, they've kind of... They haven't really broadcast a whole lot about Thanos. No. So well, it's interesting that they gave us that uh, right now before before Guardians. He's going to be in there, obviously. Well, I mean, it. Um, I think they're keeping not a Thanos lot of close to the vest intentionally. He didn't have to do a whole lot of work. No, it's like no, a couple no. of days work in the in the voiceover. No, I understand then- that, but you think. Like, that was the big teaser at the end of Avengers that they would be like, oh, ready for the connection? Yeah, that yeah. Kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Over in Star I, Wars news, two new members have been cast over ooh, there. Yay. Right. Yeah. Uh, Lupita, how do you say her last name? Nyong'o? Nyong'o. Nyong'o. And um, Gwendolyn Christie mm-hmm. have both been uh, tapped to be in the next Star Wars movie. Yay. That's Bringing pretty cool. the number yay. of women in the galaxy to four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and it feels that way, right? It feels like this very reactionary thing where like they're like, look at our cast. There's no people of color or women. Look at our new cast. Well, <laughs> before they announced, I know when they announced the first one, Lupita was rumored to have been yes. in the running for yeah. a role, which is super awesome because she was amazing in 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. But we don't know what either actress will be, no. uh, who they will portray. TMZ did get their hands on some... Uh, Tunisia set Dro- droids they're looking for. Yes, they did get their hands on the droids. Now, uh, just uh, some set pieces out in, in the desert, some giant pig monster thing, and um, set pieces, random set pieces. Then Star Wars, their Twitter feed, if you're not following their Twitter feed, you really need to follow it because they're showing a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff yeah. at the same time. They posted People... their uh, Millennium Falcon being built in... Um, Soundstage in um, England, I believe, is where that one's at. People, people are real excited about the fact that we've seen uh, practical effect creatures mm-hmm. kicking around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that's what certainly those TMZ photos are all about. Mm-hmm. That so I didn't want to repost those on the site because it just blasts TMZ's sure. logo all over the place. And yeah, right. and TMZ doesn't need any more uh, publicity from us. No. Good Lord, no. Dynamite Entertainment gets the shaft. Uh, they've announced a deal with the estate of uh, the original creator of Shaft, of the Shaft, um, Ernest Tiddyman. Um, Shut your mouth. Yes, that they will be doing, reprinting the novels, reprinting the prose novels, but then also reprinting the original comic books and new comic books. Um, there were original the comic books? Apparently, that's what, the, that's what the press release said. So this would have been like in 1970s, uh, mid-70s. Um, How do I not know about these movies? That's exactly yeah but what? uh that is what is coming down the pipe i think it's kind of cool um to see some more john shaft i think the biggest thing that was that i noticed in this press release from dynamite 
was the fact that they said that they were reprinting the prose novels. Mm -hmm. And to my knowledge, they don't have a prose novel imprint. So Mm. maybe they subtly pointed out that, hey, we're going to start publishing books. Maybe they have and like nobody pays attention to (laughs) it. Well, maybe. I mean, it's uh, most people don't realize that Dynamite Entertainment is a dynamic forces. Mm hmm. And, um, you know, they who have been who have been in like the collectibles game forever, yes, for forever. I, yes. I can't wait to see what they title that second novel. <laughs> Shaft Among the Jews. Yes. Yeah, uh, that will be very interesting, <laughs> but they're going to reprint them. So it well, should yeah, be but 50 years down the line, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you can get away with that. You might, I suppose. Shaft has a ball also has some connotations to it. So. Yeah. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. I, I think it's also interesting that with the semi success of Black Dynamite from IDW Publishing, that they're mm-hmm. like, hey, we've got Shaft over here. He's yeah. he's basically what uh, Black Dynamite was based on. Was made making of fun the, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the Black Black Dynamite is pretty funny. It is, and it, it's a pretty good uh, series out from IDW. It's Publishing. no Hebrew Hammer, but it's good. Yeah. Um, arrived in the mail this week. I talked about it before. The William Shakespeare's Star Wars books. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The third one, The Jedi Doth Return by Ian Do- <laughs> Dosher, uh, showed up today. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is they do put at the bottom Star Wars Part the Sixth. So I wonder if he has plans then to go and do the prequels mm-hmm. at some point as well. It doesn't say anything in the press release except that uh, that it's out now. I did see the first two books over at the Hastings. Oh, cool. Um, that people can pick up. So you can pick those up at... I mean, if we've got them in our town, <laughs> then you can probably pick them up at any good bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, William Shakespeare's The Jedi Doth Return Back. The Jedi Doth Return Back. No, that's the, <laughs> that must be a misprint on the uh, on the press release here. Uh, comes Dad out July 1st. Comes out July 1st. So if you're looking for that. Oh, yeah. I bet, you what, I bet you what it was is they just like uh, pasted it pasted on top, it on of, top the, of the, the old Empire yeah, Strike, strike it back. back. Yeah, yeah, So... I got a kick out of the first one. I had not had a chance to read The Empire Strikes Back uh, yet, but uh, this was a lot of it was a lot of fun to read the Star Wars one. So I can imagine that the Jedi Doth Return is going to be just as interesting. So I thought I'd mention that because I know a couple of people were interested in when that third book was coming out. So now, you know, July one. Any other news that we need to uh, get to? Um. I can't think of none. Nerdtacular's coming out. Oh, Nerdtacular. Uh, this is, uh, I'm sure the tickets are all sold out by now, but I'm on sure, Monday, right? they only had 14 tickets left. Oof. Nerdtacular all 2014. Right uh, we're all going to be there. You can head over to nerdtacular.com to find out more information and see the rundown on the schedule. Uh, we've got a lot of panels. Uh, I'm putting, I'm one, of the, I'm one of the people putting together all of the tracks at Nerdtacular this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm in charge of the quote unquote comic track. So we have a track on cosplay. Uh, that's going to be Bill Duran is going to be uh, running that one with his with his wife. Uh, then we have a we're going to have to retitle this one because we're getting more <laughs> comic book people on board than we thought. Uh, one of the cre- uh, one of the current writers on uh, JLA 3000 is going to attend. That's a new addition. I forget what his name is. Scott Johnson, Brian, um, Brian Dunaway, Dunaway. Uh, Adriana Ferguson, Scott. I forget. There's one other person. The guy who colored bone uh, is going to be there as well, I believe. Steve Hamaker had to pull out, but uh, we've got that panel that's really big. Then there's going to be a major spoilers, critical hit panel that features all of us. Then Matthew and I are going to be doing a panel on comic book collecting and grading. So that should be very interesting. Uh, You can find out all the other things that are going on. There's podcasting panels, business of podcasting, Frog Pants Network stuff by going over to nerdtacular.com. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. 
Also, when you are uh, tootling around the internet, don't forget to stop over at Majorspoilers.com. I know everybody <laughs> likes to tootle, right, Zach? I find myself tootling on the internet late into the evening. You bought a bunch of new audio equipment this week. I did. We'll arrive tomorrow. Oh, I can't. I want to. I, I got that same audio board that you have. Yeah. And then after I bought it, I was like, oh, wait. I don't think it's going to do what I want it to do. What do you want it to do? Well, I want it to be able to record Live. individual tracks, just oh, like the, the interface that I have right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's going to do that. But if people want to know what we're talking about, head over to Majorspoilers.com. We've got a page under the About section that lists some um, suggested podcast equipment, mm-hmm. uh, stuff that we use on a regular basis at Major Spoilers. And, of course, we've got links to, uh, to uh, for you to pick up that stuff if you're looking for a boom arm or a microphone or some headphones or whatever that you are looking for, we've got that over there at Majorspoilers.com. And all you have to do is click on that Amazon link, buy whatever you need to buy. Maybe you just need to pick a, a cable or a converter or whatever it may be. It's going to cost you the same price. Yep. But by going through Majorspoilers.com, that link over there at the website, a little bit comes our way and allows us to do shows like this week after week and allows us to get everybody to Nerdtacular. Because how many people are going? Like seven? Uh, you. Let's see. You, it's Zach, four, six, Matthew, seven. me, Rob, Brian, Adriana. That's Critical Hit, which is six people plus Zach. So seven people going to this thing. I actually count as two for seating purposes. Yeah, that's true. Well, but we're not flying you, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) Did I tell you the greatest thing ever? That peanut butter is awesome. Crunchy peanut butter? That's 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 all I can think of. That's a different Peanut butter on a waffle? I love that. No, I was was, was, uh, solidifying my, my reservation for a car. And they're like, where do you work? And I'm like, why do you want to know? And they're like, maybe you have a discount. I'm like, maybe I do. And it turns out I do. Wow. So that's Look pretty awesome. That. I, like, I, like it. I like that you're, you're like uh, going in there making the arrangements to rent a car. And they're like, so where do you work? And you're like, you a cop? <laughs> You've got to <laughs> tell yeah, us yeah, if you are. You, like, it's entrapment. Man, if you had my credit rating, you'd understand. Yeah. People who know where you work can call you at work and try to get the money to go them. I see. Steven does that all the time. He's like, where's my money? No, I've never done that to you. <laughs> Stop killing the joke, Steven. <laughs> oh, I'm just God. making sure that people knew that I don't call you up and I harass you for money. It was a joke. Was it? Okay. Uh, let us get to some reviews. I'm going to go extra long because Zach stole my do-do-do-do-do-do. Uh, out this week from Dynamite Entertainment, Doc Savage number six, written by Chris Robertson, art by Bill Quis Evely. Uh, this uh, moves Doc uh, forward to the year 2000 and dealing with changes in technology and his ever-growing crime prevention network. It's uh, become global, basically, is what he's done. So anytime there's a major problem, people can get on the Internet. People can call an 800 number. They've got operators standing by and depending on the level of aid they can dispatch people sometimes even robotics um you know robotic planes going out and doing whatever needs to be done to help people in need bad thing is i think doc and i haven't been reading every single issue i've I've missed the last two issues i think doc thinks that people are genuinely good or try to be and he sees this he sees crime as a disease for sure but i don't think he understands that people are just sometimes crazy for crazy sake because what happens is this Russian hacker kid gets into Doc's system and infects it completely to the point where they have to basically shut off all power to the eastern seaboard in order Whoa. to stop the spread of the virus. Awesome. And in the end, they realize that they can't rely on technology 
to run their network, which makes it harder for them to help fight crime. Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, by the end of this issue, crime kind of is, is getting an upper hand on Doc um, and his massive team. And I think that's putting a, a, a greater impact on him. So it'll be interesting in the next uh, two issues to see what Robertson does with uh, with this change in the status quo for Doc uh, and how he moves how mm-hmm. he moves forward as a hero organization. Uh, it was a good read. I mean, it was solid writing. I mean, it's interesting. I, I guess you know uh, he did he did explain why Doc is still young in the two thousands okay. uh, from you know uh, the John Sunlight book. Um. But I'm just not a big fan of Doc Savage in modern times. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just you, doesn't work. Uh, I mean, this has kind of happened, I guess, recently, bringing all those pulp heroes back. Mm-hmm. Kind of, in a, do you tire of? Oh, we don't know how to trust technology, and we shouldn't use it now that we have to be surrounded by it. Storylines, kind of things. Well, I think it takes some of the fun out of. It takes some of the fun out of telling some of these pulp stories right. because. Here you have Doc Savage who was using these essentially rubber bullets with gas pellets in them to knock people out, dum-dums. And this was in the 1930s when these kinds of things really weren't around. Well, mm-hmm. today we do have rubber bullets and we do have, you know, the, the guns that shoot the beanbags and, yeah. and um, um, electric uh, shock uh, tasers. tasers. So, I don't know. To me, half the fun of... A Doc Savage book or a pulp book or even detective tales from the 70s is, oh, my gosh, I've got to get to a phone. Where is right. there a phone? Oh, my gosh, there's the woman in the phone booth. I got to get her out of the phone booth. Today, it's just, well, I'm going to open up my iPhone and do, 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 do. Hey, uh, you got to get out of the house. Uh, the caller's calling from inside. Mm-hmm. I, I've tracked him with my friend's app. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like, OK, the end. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, this is the first time that we've seen Doc Savage basically in modern times. In in this series. Oh, now, we've seen him in yeah. modern times before. Like you said, First Wave from DC did it. Uh, DC did it years and years ago in the in the 90s uh, in a failed attempt there. It'll be interesting to see what happens next because we will jump forward in time again oh. um, in the next issue to probably shortly after 9-11 because this one takes place in 2000. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, sh- I'm going to guess it um, will jump forward to at least 2011, 2012 mm-hmm. in the next issue. Interesting. So oh. art is good. Um, the Bilquis art is, is really good. He stays on model for most of the characters. Uh, I like that he doesn't make all of his his female characters, you know, the sexy, slim uh, females that you see. Um, they're kind of they're kind of beefy. They look like they could uh, punch you in the face and, and, and knock you down the stairs. Um, <laughs> the, that being said, the two female characters that we see front and center both have the sh- same body build, same body type. They both have short black hair, and so it's easy to look at mm. both of them side by side in a panel and get them confused, even though they're one's taking place in New York, another one's taking place in Africa or wherever that she's at in this adventure. Um, so that was that would be my only only minor problem that I have with the art in this book. Overall, Doc Savage number six does a uh, good job, continues on telling Doc Savage tales, and I'm a sucker for Doc Savage. I'm giving this one three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. It's out this week from Dynamite Entertainment. Covered by Alex Ross there for people who are into that. And the Alex Ross cover is kind of cool because it's just like Doc standing there in in a classic Doc pose with his uh, shirt ripped. And these airplanes just raining down out of the sky because one of the things that happens when they have to turn off all the power because of this virus is 
tankers do tip over, planes do fall from the sky and, and collide into one another. So it's a it's a big disaster that uh, Doc's going to have to recover from. So that is Doc Savage. Rodrigo, what do you have for us this week? What I have is a comic book. Yay. What? What are these things? Comic yes. books. It's called The Dry Spell Number One from Action Lab. Okay. And it is the story of a guy, and then you slowly kind of find out that this guy used to be someone else. Um, there are superheroes, and you just uh, slowly start learning that uh, the superheroes that are around, like he's kind of tied to them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of like a, a not very spoilery uh, overview of it. Um, and if I wanted to give you a more spoilery overview of it, I couldn't because there's a lot of mystery setup in this comic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then at the turn of the last page, when I expected some form of reveal, anything, because they set up 10 different things, the comic just ends. He gets he gets into a car with someone whom we don't know who it is. And right, right. the comic just ends right there. Oh, that, that's um, not fun. Yeah, yeah. It's like out of all of the things that we saw, you would have I would have hoped that there would have been at least one reveal. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't. So, so but is the hook though still there to carry you? Not for me. Mm. Um because it's like there's a lot of stuff going on. It's like he you kind of figure out that he used to be a supervillain. Right. Um there's this like mysterious voice that talks to him and mm-hmm. you don't know if that's like his own self-doubt or if that's like an actual creature or like his evil self or mm. whatever like talking to him um there's a, a thing where like uh he can only do what he does when he does drugs um but we don't like oh well that's another one we don't know what it is that he does we don't know what his superpowers are that's not revealed what the voice is is not revealed what he used to be is not revealed nothing is revealed in this issue um, so it is just kind of a big, like, look at all these mysterious things that could be revealed at some point, perhaps, um, without any real, uh, payoff at the end. Uh, the art is really interesting. Um, if you are into more, um, I guess kind of impressionistic art as far as your comics, um, I think if you enjoyed, uh, say the nineties, um, as far as your, you know, Sandman and the Max and stuff like that. I mean, this is not that. This is not exactly that. Um, but it has that feel. It has that feel that, like, you know, emotionally speaking, you're going to see things in pinks and blues and greens mm-hmm. instead of, like, realistic colors. And sometimes the crazier things get, the the more smeared the colors become, like... People are very monochrome, like two guys will be in an office. The office is great, and both of them are basically beige, mm-hmm. you know? And, and uh, so it has great use of color in that sense. It's like you're in an office, everything's drab. You are at home, things are like a little warmer, but still there's like coldness to it. It's, uh, you know, color is used really well. The art, as long as you are okay with that style... The art actually is very good, and and mostly it's the use of color that that makes it. Um, It is funny because at times, because of that solid background and then like 
single color palette or like just very light variation palette yeah. on each character. Um, it kind of reminds me of Tom Goes to the Mayor. I don't know if you ever saw that on mm-hmm. uh, on Adult Swim. No. Um, but yeah, at times it just kind of has that that feel, which is clearly unintentional because it, that is not the sort of themes mm. that they want to that they want to put forth. Um, but yeah, all around, um, there are you know there's a great scene with like that is like where he like does some acid. And like every like the whole comic kind of breaks down, and like there's like the there's no panels and stuff for yeah, a while, yeah. you know. There's there's a great job in like layout and all that stuff, but again, by the end of the comic, I don't know what I'm reading. Mm. Like, um, I know that there's something dark and scary and mysterious, but there's not even any hints as to what it is. Just something. Just something. So, um, really, because of that, um, I'm gonna give it. I'm going to give it two and a half slices of meatloaf. The art definitely, again, if you're into it, uh, the art really, really elevates this comic. I will say that the comic opens with a quote from Alan Moore. Right. Ooh. Um, which uh, can already, like, I don't know. I think it's it's a huge risk, as far as I'm concerned, when you're making a comic and you put a quote from a comic book writer on your thing. Like, quotes yeah. from literature, quotes from movies, quotes from that stuff. It's a lot safer. And then this specific quote is really risky. Um, so here's the quote from Alan Moore that opens the book. It's not the job of the artist to give the audience what the audience wants. If the audience knew what they needed, then they wouldn't be the audience they would be the artists. Mm. So the oh. character the character in this is an artist, and I think that's what he's going for. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. This quote also reads as, you're about to read my comic, yeah. and I don't care what you think, comma, morons. Right, right, right. <laughs> so that's, like, again, I saw this, and I was like, I immediately don't know if I actually want to read this. Luckily, though, I uh, was really pressed for time and I didn't feel like looking up another comic to yeah, read. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up actually sitting down and reading it. Turned out okay. Turns out that there's a reason why there's this quote about art. But again, like, if if this was going to go back to print, I would take this out. Like, because it's like, it's kind of a potentially, unnes- like, a potential inflammatory piece that is not connected to the text of the book and it's potentially uh, like very off-putting yeah and of course that is also interpretation of the writer's intent Mm -hmm. right right and we don't know he may be thinking of it as you know there's going to be some different art go with it furthermore alan moore is a yes hugely dominant figure in comics right do you really want to start your book by inviting a comparison? It's like, I'm not saying that he did as well or poorly or, or more poorly or better or whatever than Alan Moore, because Alan Moore's all over the place. Like right. he's so prolific that you can find something by Alan Moore. That's terrible. Right. 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 You can find great stuff that he's done, mm-hmm. but it's like, do you really want to open up? It's like opening your movie and then putting a quote by Coppola on there, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. It's like, do you yeah. really want to start that way? 
Interesting. All right. That is out now. Uh, I don't remember when the release date is on that one. Uh, Looks like doesn't say. Yeah. I think this was a true indie indie thing. So it may be one of those that. Well, the the Action Lab stuff is all like creator based. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Let me see in the latest email that they sent me today if I have anything. Uh, Hang on. I think I. Yeah, but uh, just look for it. Uh, in stores tomorrow, so it's okay, already so out. Okay, so it's out now. Yeah, there sorry you about go. that. All right, uh, Zach, what do you got this week? I another indie comic. Right? Yeah, I read Wool Number One. This one is from Jet City Comics in association with Cryptozoic Entertainment, and this is a comic adaptation of Hugh Howey's Wool uh, novel. So there you go. If you've read that. Then maybe you'll want to read this. I had never heard of that novel, uh, but this uh, looked interesting from the cover and a couple preview pages I saw in Comixology, and so I gave it a shot, and I'm pretty happy that I did. Uh, like Rodrigo's book, a lot of interesting art in here, and I think that comes a lot from the this set. The setting of this comic is this giant silo in the ground, built because it feels like Earth has been. Uh, destroyed through some means once again. Um, Man meddling in God's domain. Uh, that is not um, said for certain. It is simply looking desolate. Uh, but that is where an interesting part of this story comes in. Uh, so people live in this silo. We don't know how long they've been here. Certainly a, a few years at least seeing how deep this silo thing is. And we open up this book with a lady who is kind of seeming to go crazy, saying they're all lying to us, everything is fine outside, kids are probably playing on a hill, there's nothing dangerous out there, I will go and I will show you. And she says, they're just showing us this, uh, so we will follow them and believe them and stay in here. So they let her go out, and she never comes back. And her husband's left there wondering, and they cut three years, and he says, it's time that I go and see if she was right and find the truth. And so he asks permission to leave, which which essentially everyone's kind of fine with. They all know if someone goes outside that they're not coming back. No one knows why, but they're not coming back. Uh, Doors open. We see this lush green field with a city bright in the, in the, in the distance. And he says, Oh, she's right. And he walks and we cut, we cut away from him looking back at him and it's all just desolate. So he's still being projected an image to his mind of what he's actually seeing, as what mm. they're kind of inferring. And then he then he dies within minutes of going outside. It it looks like we cut away from him and go back into the mayor of the silo and they need to find a new sheriff because it's the sheriff that just died. And so we kind of uh, go down into the silo and they have to find this uh, one this one lady who's going to be the sheriff now of the silo. Um, we don't know much about her, but we kind of introduced to this world and the silo, they, they end this story on level 42 of the silo. Um, they, we meet some characters from it. It seems like it's a very tech oriented society that they're living in now. And from that, we kind of get this interesting color palette where each level seems to have its own color kind of thing. So they're on this it level, everything shaded in purple. They're on another level it's orange. Uh, it's like the forest or the plants level where they stay the night. 
uh, and not much is really given to us. We're kind of just given hints of what this world could possibly be and what is in store for the future for this uh, girl that they are searching out to be their new sheriff. And uh, what a sheriff really does in this silo, I have no idea. But I am certainly interested in finding out. The art uh, is by Jimmy Broxton. With uh, he just does everything. Uh, script by Justin Gray and Jimmy Palamati. Uh, and I enjoy it. The art is very good. It kind of gives this grim look at life that uh, maybe this place isn't the best uh, place for live. Uh, but it is the only place that people can live right now. And it's harsh and the color palette is certainly interesting. And I'm totally buying into this book. Not a lot of answers. A whole lot of questions. But they're good questions that make me want to come back next time for wool. So I'm going to give wool number one, three and a half slices of meatloaf. Excellent. All right. Okay, Matthew, what have you got for us this week? Well, this week, well, I actually uh, didn't intend to review this this week, but I kind of bumped into something when I was at the store on uh, Sunday. I bumped into an issue of Smallville season 11, and on the cover was Sean Stewart, the Green Lantern. So, I actually have a digital comic this week, Smallville, comma, colon, Lantern, number 12 of 12. It's the last issue, apparently. I'm not sure if they're doing these now as miniseries or if it's something where they'll be on the website in the digital form as a miniseries. And then when they come out, they'll be part of a regular Smallville series. I don't no, know. So but I what to they do is that. it's the 99 cent issue. So what it is is they take one issue, they split mm-hmm. it up into three digital versions Mm-hmm. And then they release our four digital versions and then they release those weekly and then a month or two down the line, then it comes out in print. Cool. This one came out this week and I had to check it out. I went and I got the previous ones to look and see what was going on. I'm like, John Stewart, that's awesome because everybody at DC is completely in love with Hal Jordan and John Stewart is cooler to me. So uh, Smallville colon lantern number 12 starts as you'd expect, you know, the, as Steven said, they do break these up a little odd. So it starts, in mid-fight scene with what appears to be the inmates of Arkham Asylum being thrown to their death by Parallax. And, of course, Superman shows up, and Smallville is in the Superman Smallville TV show continuity, which means that they're trying to do it on a more realistic level. But Superman is still in costume with Superman powers. We see Killer Croc and what is, I'm pretty sure is Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy And another schmuck who I can't really identify. But Superman saves the villains. And then we get into some fighty, fighty. Parallax has come to Earth. Parallax is this giant yellow fear creature, as in the comic books. And as in the comic books, he's not alone. Because in this issue, the rest of the Green Lantern Corps shows up. I do like the twist they put on the Corps. We have some some familiar faces in there. I can't remember her name. She's Korrigar, from Korrigar. She's Sinestro's daughter. Uh, Kilowog appears, Salak, Chip. And these characters appear as Green Lanterns. But apparently, the Green Lantern rings have been sent out by the mysterious Guardians and are taking people against their will. They are being conscripted into the Green Lantern Corps against their will, including in a previous issue, Clark himself, who was conscripted to be the protector of the home uh, sector where Krypton was, which I think is kind of interesting. But 
uh, as with anything, the downside comes in that there's so much familiar here that the parts that are different and are supposed to be different don't really necessarily come through. Um, as this portion of the story, you know, you do get your Superman. It's a more traditional looking Superman than the armored Superman of the modern New 52. However, they still took out the trunks, which I think is a mistake. And as the issue ends, we see a lot of these familiar characters making decisions to where they're in the quote-unquote more realistic universe of Smallville. Now, when your supporting cast consists of seven aliens, all of whom look freaky, freaky alien, it's hard to say realistic. But there are two things in here that I think are pretty brilliant. One is, is the use of Jon Stewart. Uh, John has always been a great character, and I really like the way he breaks down this issue. As things end, it's Jon Stewart that resolves both what happens with uh, Parallax and what happens with the Owen Green Lantern Corps. Secondly, Clark is dating Lois. And as this issue ends, they get a big kiss and they have a romantic moment and they talk about how wonderful it is and how they're going to go write a story for the Daily Planet. And I, I really surprised how satisfying that feels after three years of you know Clark and Lois not being a couple. For some reason, it feels really good. So if you're someone who's upset and frustrated that Clark and Lois aren't a couple, I'm not saying you'll love this, but I'm saying a more traditional Superman-Lois relationship is available in the Smallville title. I'm actually going to give this four out of five slices of meatloaf. It's well-drawn. It's well-written. There are issues, as there always are with me, of keeping universes straight. And there's a moment where... Uh... Now, Stephen, I, I had asked you this. Do you remember if Otis from the Superman movie had ever appeared in Smallville? No, I don't think he has. It, he not appears in the, in the TV comic. series. Now, he may be. I mean, they've introduced a lot of new characters into Smallville. I mean, they brought, I thought they brought Stephanie Brown back mm -hmm. um, through the Smallville series, but she's not I believe been they in the, did. Yeah. So, yeah, they could bring anybody in there. And to my knowledge, I stopped watching shortly after uh, Kristen Crook left until um, <laughs> until like the last season. I watched the last three episodes, maybe. Mm -hmm. So anything I, could have happened in between there. I kind of like the use of Otis here. Because this is a you know a traditional post crisis Luthor as a fat cat industrialist, and Otis is just kind of his schmucky yes man, mm. which I I really like. And at the end, there's a big tease that Luthor may have plans and may possibly have yellow Sinestro core rings, but you didn't hear it from me. Mm, interesting. Um, this is interesting. I, I'm actually going to pick up the collected issues because I wasn't able to afford all 12 of the issues that were online today. I'm a little bit broke right now. But interestingly, I, I do like this. The art is phenomenal. Mar Marchio Takara, I believe, is the name of the artist. Reminds me of Scott McDaniel, if you remember his work from Nightwing and Great Ten, which is really good stuff. So again, four out of five slices of meatloaf for Smallville season something, 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 number 12. Cool. Excellent. Uh, listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. Find more reviews over there. While you're over there, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of Dueling Reviews coming out in the next day or so. Big Trouble in Little China, the comic book series, kicks off this week. Stephen uh, is super stoked. Boom, Boom Studios. I am super stoked. I've already read the issue. And we're going to share our thoughts on the next Dueling Review. Look for that in the Major Spoilers podcast section. Uh, and, coincidentally, mm -hmm. 
Thank you. This this month's bonus tracks for our VIP <sighs> members: Big Trouble in Little China. Big Whoa. Trouble. Not, not that I plan that or anything. Right. But uh, if you want to get a hold of of this bonus tracks, it's got Rodrigo, myself, and Rob. And then for the first time ever watching Big Trouble in Little China, Zach. That's me. And so we provide commentary. You sit down and you watch the movie along with us and you can hear our thoughts and reactions and everything. You can only get this file over at members.majorspoilers.com. Sign up and uh, you can get access to that. And everybody who signs up is helping make sure that shows like bonus tracks and our monthly chats and original art and articles and videos and everything get put up on the site because uh, without your help, we can't do what we do. So thanks everyone for your support. And of course our $10 a month uh, contributors get their name shouted out at the top of the show. So thank you guys and gals for that. Why don't we do a a little thing called the major spoilers poll of the week. Oh, of the week. Or did Zach want to do that too? Oh, you know, I only get to do three things in the show. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, but one of them's talk. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I, I don't get to be part of bonus tracks. I'm 250 miles away and I can't You've drive. been on yeah, bonus I, tracks before. Yeah, I honestly didn't Once. even think about it. I just made a noise. It's, it hurt my feelings. I, I, I honestly apologize, Matthew. Tune in this you. week for the next episode of Matthew on Film, where we look at Casablanca. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Whatever. So, Magicians, uh, Archie Comics has announced that there is a going to be a brand new ongoing Sabrina series done oh. in the same vein as the afterlife with Archie series. So it's by the same, uh, it's by the same, uh, writer. It's not Francesco Francovia doing the art on it, but it is Roberto. I forget what it is. Yes. He is doing all the writing on it and it, it looks spooky. Um, it does. Archie and you know what I love about it? Or Tuesday, actually. What's that? It, it actually has the cover font from thrilling adventures of sorcery, chilling adventures of sorcery from 1973. Cool. Which, which was an actual Archie title back in the day. So they got my love right there. I mean, the trade dress looks like a seventies comic. I'm yeah, definitely yeah. quiet. Oh yeah. And her aunts <laughs> are uh, totally spooky on one of the variant covers. I mean yes. like spooky, spooky, even spookier than they were in afterlife with Archie. So that's coming out. And I thought, Oh, you know, Sabrina, the teenage witch, she's a witch. She's a teenager. Mm-hmm. Certainly there's other witches out there that are teenagers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that Hermione Granger girl over there in the Harry Potter world. Right. What would happen if those two had a magic battle? Uh-huh. Who would emerge victorious? Matthew. Well, I'm actually thinking that I'm probably going to go with the unpopular opinion. But here's the thing about your Harry Potter. Harry Potter, while, you know, super magic-y magic-y, does have a little bit of a basis in reality. There's kind of an expectation of a baseline normalcy. If Hermione wants to travel in time, she has to use a special arcane implement. She has to go and find special potions or special magical items or you know things to do what you do. It's not as though she is inherently herself powerful. She has learned to channel these forces through implements, through, you know, items through well not anybody can be a a, a, a magician well and that's true of sabrina as well but here's the thing about sabrina sabrina is not limited by the rules of logic whether that be story logic or any type of actual physics sabrina coming from a comic book pretty much has unlimited power 
And I've read some of the old school 60s and 70s Sabrina things where they're like, oh, ha, ha, she did this. And I'm like, she just fundamentally altered the nature of the universe. She turned back time with a snap of her fingers. She can alter things on a molecular level just because she's in a bad mood. Sabrina is Dark Phoenix ridiculously powerful. She doesn't have limitations. She's freaking Sabrina. Plus, she's, you know, cute as the Dickens and has the talking cat. So based on that and, you know, the little robot talking cat from the 90s, I have to go with Sabrina because she is infinitely more powerful. Even if Hermione is a super genius, what's it going to do when she's turned into a mouse? Well, Sabrina may be infinitely powerful, but she hasn't learned to master that power, which is why we ended up with a series like Afterlife with Archie, because she created the zombie apocalypse that is killing everyone left and right. And what Archie had to do to his dad is just terrible. So uh, Matt says Hermione is a prodigy of magic and got more ruthless as she got older. She got a mean streak in her, so she gets my vote. Hermione says Kirby uh, because Sabrina uses magic. Sabrina's use of magic always seems to get her into a lot of ironic trouble. Alicia says basically the same thing. So do I. I mean, um, yes, you can argue that, you know, one is using true cosmic magic and the other one is just channeling magic. Um, But I'm still going to go with uh, Hermione. I can't even say it. Hermione. Uh, as the more powerful magician in this because her magic is more than likely not going to backfire on her if they're doing a, a, a magician duel. So I went with Hermione. Rodrigo, what about you? I agree. To a large extent, um, Hermione is defined by the fact that she is pretty good at what she does and manages to overcome overwhelming magical odds. Right. Well, Sabrina is defined by having a ton of power and largely having to overcome the fact that her own powers backfired on her. Mm-hmm. So it would be if it's like if both characters are being written the way that they're written in their own universes, Hermione would almost have to win. Right. I mean, you can get into any number of other uh, of other discussions but again it's kind of like the core of Hermione is that kind of uh overcoming that outside adversity which in this case would be Sabrina right <laughs> and uh for Sabrina it's kind of that initial like I've done a great thing oh wait that was terrible now I have to fix it right 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 so, so for- yeah so I'm gonna go with Hermione Derek says Hermione equals hero Sabrina equals bumbler Ingrid says Hermione is smart and is a tough cookie she can keep cool under pressure. My vote is for her. Russ Cat says I voted for Hermione. I think uh, her. I think her precept of constant learning and hard work can trump Sabrina's inborn talent. Hermione says Taylor. Clever Lang says her, Hermione is super smart. Uh, Ray, Ray says Hermione. The Great Nate O says Hermione. Zach, what do you say? I'm I'm gonna have to go in the Hermione camp. Also, uh, part Good. of that is because I didn't. Uh, I don't really know, know anything about Sabrina. I believe there was a show in the early 2000s and 90s from like some a, weird yeah, TV sitcom thing. That was uh, when I think of Sabrina. That's all I can really muster up. Mm-hmm. Part uh, of but I but I grew up with Hermione. Essentially, I read all the books. And someone mentioned earlier she kind of got more ruthless as the books went on. Much did really everyone in the series, but I feel like Hermione was kind of the peacekeeper at the beginning and somewhat timid and then she got you know like like mean and she could do some serious damage by the end wow and a so, secret magic war will do that to you sure obviously uh friends dying yeah kind of thing 
but yeah, I'm going to go with Hermione also. She's pretty cool. Cat Halo says, Sabrina, in the past, she altered reality Yay! on a massive scale on almost a weekly basis. Hermione might be more heroic, but Sabrina's magic seems to be almost limitless. Were she to yeah. focus and study, Hermione wouldn't stand a chance. But My man, Cat Halo. But what we're not doing here is we're not saying, hey, Sabrina, go study because... She doesn't do that, right? I mean, sure. it has to be how the characters she are. Well, and, and, I mean, I, I, and here's the thing. You can make a, 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 almost any argument that you um, make for Sabrina, you can make right. for Hermione because the magic in Harry Potter is really not that consistent. No, it's not. I mean, Hermione does do some amount of time traveling mm-hmm. and then, from what I understand, later on completely ignores it. So it's like she does have the power available to her and is also stupid like Sabrina about it. So and that's just like the fault of the writers. It's not well, really the I fault of the, the characters. You know, I think there's, you know, a lot of the magic can be verbal. You, you can verbalize mm-hmm. the, the, the magic yeah. and use your wand to stop stuff. But a lot of stuff relies on magical items. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so for Hermione to travel in time, she has to have this right. one little thing. Thunder. Yes, that that allows her to travel back in time. And when the school takes it back away from her, she doesn't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, I mean, by the time you get to book eight, that would be real simple to just say, oh, let me go back about six years and do oh. all this stuff. Yeah. And or like 30 or 15 or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And stop that. Yeah. yeah. But no. Just, so just help Voldemort kill Harry Potter. I mean, that's that's why all this happened, because really? he's trying to get at him. Yeah. You could have just killed Harry. Yeah. Matthew, how did That'd the rest of the Major Spoilers Nation mm-hmm. vote? Uh, 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 the rest of the Major Spoilers Nation. Right now we're looking at 99 votes, which makes our calculations super easy. 81% favoring Hermione Granger over the amazing Sabrina Spellman. And again, you know, you can make the argument either way. And I, I appreciate those who say Hermione and are wrong. But I think that it's interesting that this one is breaking out so overwhelmingly towards Hermione, because I think that Maybe having the rules to her magic makes people believe that she's better at it. I think. I, well, I think another. Stu- thing, I mean, she well, really studies. She puts her nose to the grindstone. I, and I think. I think another thing entirely is that, assuming that this is a magic fight, mm-hmm. we rarely ever see Sabrina magic fight, but we see That's Hermione true. fight her way through eight books, right, yeah. and seventeen That's movies. Very true. Yep. <laughs> I'll buy that. All buy right. That. Uh, listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can cast your vote in the Major Spoilers poll of the week. And you can share your thoughts in the comment section because that's what we really love to read. Even though this episode may be over by the time uh, you're listening to it or we're done discussing it by the time you listen to it. Comments are always open. Night right. or day, 24-7, Majorspoilers.com. Seven days a week. Let us uh, give a shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Tweaked Audio. Tweaked Audio have some great little earbuds in ear uh, plugs that you stick down in your in your ear canals. <laughs> not too far. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not, not a big. I'm not a big fan of those. I like their other ones, like the peanut butter ones. That, not literally made out of peanut butter because no, that'd no, be like no, sure. gross. Don't, Don't put, put peanut, peanut butter, butter in, in your ears. ears. But, but it does peanut, can, It does cancel sound really well. It does. Just they stick peanut butter in there. As do these headsets. I mean, they really have some noise reduction going on. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got microphones built in. So if you're on the road and you're listening to your podcast, I don't know why you'd be driving and having something in your ear, but if you are and someone calls you, you can just hit the button and you can start talking Mm -hmm. and everything is good with the world. Absolutely. Uh, they've come in a a bunch of different styles, a bunch of different shapes. Somebody just posted on Twitter the other day, how they just got the new wood ones in and they were very happy about that. And of course, 
They're excited because they got to save some money by using the checkout code MAJOR over at tweakedaudio.com. That checkout got them 30% off their regular price. So that's all over at tweakedaudio.com. We thank them for sponsoring this part of the show. Um, I got my comic book order in really late this week. Came in today. Mm-hmm. And in this, there were these little uh, cards from DC Comics. If I can read this, this is a really small print. <laughs> DC Entertainment Essential 25 Graphic Novels. Tell me if these are the 25 essential graphic novels from DC. Mm-hmm. Okay. Watchmen, yes. Batman The Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. The Sandman exactly. Volume 1, uh, Batman Year 1, V for Vendetta, Saga of the Swamp Thing yes. Book 1, Fables Volume 1 Legends in Exile. Oh, yes. Good series. Batman The Killing Joke. Um, yes. Let's see, what is this? Uh, Why the Last Man Volume 1. Yes. All-Star Superman, Batman Volume 1, The Court of Owls. That was the one that was really surprised me on the mm-hmm. list. Although The Court no. of Owls is a really good storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, Kingdom Come, Batman okay. The Long Halloween, Justice League Volume 1 Origin. Yes. Uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Volume 1, Batman Earth 1, Green Lantern Rebirth, which is probably my favorite. or not? No, no, that's not my favorite one of the Green Lanterns. Uh, I'm thinking of Emerald Dawn is the one mm-hmm. that I like. Um, American Vampire Volume 1, JLA Volume 1, Final Crisis, Batman Hush, Identity Crisis, Joker, Wonder Woman Volume 1, Blood, and Superman Earth 1. Is there anything on that list that just pops out as something that you don't think should be on that list? Uh, There's a couple couple of them that I would take out, and I I wouldn't consider them essential, but that's that's actually a really good list. I think that it's skewed towards... Batman. The current incarnation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, skewed toward Batman. But more importantly, it's skewed towards the current thought yes. process on mm-hmm. the DC universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's how do you get into some classic stuff and also yeah. what's currently going on in the New 52. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I it's, can, it's a, I it's a publicity thing. I don't think oh, that sure. – I, I think that they would like to think that this is their end-all, be-all list of yeah. the, their sure. best comics that they've ever Ain't published. No but I think on that list. I think that it is very... Um, I mean, on, to, to be perfectly honest, I'm surprised that we have Saga of the Swamp thing on here. Um, I was surprised to see American Vampire on mm-hmm. here. Um, I I probably wouldn't include American Vampire in, like, the essential DC list, right. even though I think it's a good series. Right. Yeah. Um, well, Swamp Thing started Vertigo for, for all yeah. intents and purposes. Swamp Thing became Vertigo. So Swamp Thing, I think I'm not surprised by. Why the Last Man? I'm not surprised by, but mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. fables. The American Vampire thing may be again another attempt to keep you in that modern Vertigo stream because right. mm-hmm. I think that's the only Vertigo type book that's still coming out on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. All are the they doing are something even- media related with that now. I know they're doing iZombie. Oh, I think I think American Vampire might be in the works for some kind of deal. Really? I think yeah, it I might be. I, I thought I heard that. That'd be, that'd be good. Um. I, 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 you know, I or wouldn't, CW. I, I don't think I would have had both Hush and Long Halloween on here. Yeah, because um, they're kind of, there's, but then there's, I wouldn't have had Long Halloween and The Dark Knight Returns because they're kind of, yeah, they're, they're kind like, of very disparate Batman. Yeah, stories. it's hard to really keep them together as one Batman. And while, while I am not 100% on board as a fan of Dark Knight Returns, I think that it absolutely yeah, has yeah, a place yeah. and holds its place on this. Oh, list. definitely. It was I'll a big keep deal. it. I've got 100 of them. Okay. <laughs> uh, Teddy writes in and says, Hey, spoilers. I just wanted to what tell up, you homie? guys how much I love listening to your podcast. 
I've even gone back through a lot of your past episodes to hear your thoughts on some of my favorite books. While I don't always agree with what you guys say about them, I always find it interesting to hear your reasons for how you feel about the books. Now, this kind of ties into our 25 list here. Mm -hmm. I would like to suggest the two DC villain books, uh, Azarello and uh, who is it? Bermijo did Lex Luthor uh, did uh, called Lex Luthor Man of Steel later just re-released as Luthor. And Joker, both series were really well written and the art is amazing. And Joker is on that on that top 25 list. Um, and I think I'm familiar with Lex Luthor, Man of Steel, because it shows the history of Superman through Lex Luthor's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, right. He does say that Joker uses a small time crook to tell the story of the Joker being re-released from Arkham and wanting to take his city back from all the other criminals who have moved in while he was locked up, while at the same time planning his next battle with Batman. Sounds interesting. I've not read Joker. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both good books. I'd say we could throw them, you know, somewhere on the TPB. That's worst case mm-hmm. scenario. Sure. We got a trade paperback coming up in a couple of weeks, so maybe one of those will mm-hmm. fall on there. Thank you for that, Teddy. Um, Steven, I'm a longtime fan of major spoilers and appreciate all you do, says Joe. I greatly enjoyed your recent podcast that discussed a college course about Star Wars. Do you know of any online graduate-level courses from accredited sources on the history of comic books? If I complete two more graduate courses in history, I can teach undergraduate history courses And what better subject than comic books? Any assistance would be greatly appreciated. I don't know of any graduate level comic book coursework, although, you know, check out some of the bigger schools that have online presences. Uh, I know that my university, the comic book class, the Star Wars class probably won't be online anytime soon. A lot of these courses come about because an instructor at the university has some kind of passion for one of these things. In the case of Star Wars, like you've heard a couple of times on this show, there were three of us that were really into it, and we decided to use that as the lens to look at American culture. And so we just went to our respective deans and pitched the ideas to them, and they were like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Uh, And we had a lot of uh, positive results. Now, um, Dr. Peter Coogan Mm -hmm. from the um, Comic Art Institute, or the Comic Institute, I forget which one it is. I think it's Comic Arts Institute. Um, he follows all of these. So you would want to probably go over to their website and, and they could point you to, and I need to get him back on the show as well. Um, he can probably point you to some universities that might have graduate level programs that are online. Bowling green might be a great place to start because that is where Michael Uslan, uh, created the very first comic book studies course in, in America. Uh, so, uh, you might check out there. So, uh, there yeah, you the, go, Joe, the website for the Institute for comic studies is just, Institute for Comic Studies, no spaces or underscores or anything, .org. There you go. All right, Joe, hopefully that helps you out. So thanks for that email. From Kevin. Hey, guys, I was just wondering what you would think if there was a damage control reference in the next Avengers movie. I've mentioned damage, or I've brought up damage control a lot of times because I'm always, what happens when all these (laughs) battles are over? Um, So I think a damage control reference would be okay. I don't know if, unless you show them in action, I don't think a lot of people are going to get, get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be I think it would be difficult given what happened after Winter Soldier to have another like super uh, organization right. roll in. Right. Yeah. I think that would be the the main difficulty of it. Well, they they're the ones that clean up everything, when aren't they? Right. right. Damage control. Yes. Mm-hmm. That'd be that'd be. A, I mean, if they kind of did a humor spin on it, I don't know how humorous. Yeah, they their all, idea was. They all pull up in giant dump yeah, trucks yeah, yeah. and bulldozers, and they jump out with their if damage they control did jackets a, on. Like short, you know, they did the. Oh, one of the Marvel shorts? Yeah, one of the Marvel shorts. They put on some of the DVD things. That's a good idea. Yeah. Matthew, I think I'd I'd feel okay about it. I think the problem with it is it's a lot goofier a concept than you can get away with in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it's been established so far. Because 
yeah, I, I think it'd be a great idea. I'd rather see it in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. television show because I think thematically I think it might fit better. And you could play it for what it is and have it be awesome to the people that get it and have it be, you know, goofy enough to where people who want to say, oh, that's lame, can point and laugh as people are wont to do. Hello, Stephen, Rodrigo, Matthew, and Zach. I just finished an eight-month project to work uh, at work, and now I have some time during lunch to catch up on my six-plus-month backlog of comics. So today I started reading and noticed a lot of annual issues from my pull list titles. Now, with my birthday being today, whatever day you wrote this in, <laughs> as well as uh, uh, starting to wonder about them, you know, because they are yearly as well. So here's some questions for y'all. What is the deal with annuals? How did they start? Where? Why do we have them? It's just so that they can take more money from us. Are they really needed or do they matter? That's from the great Nate O. Ooh, if I may. Uh, so one of the things is, are they there just to take more money from us? Of course. Yeah, well, yeah, but yes. so, are, so, so is every comic. So is every so comic. Is yeah. Every comic. Yeah, so where do they get started? Actually, annuals date back to before comic books existed. Uh, annuals actually started out as collections of comic strips. And the reason they were annuals, because they'd come out every year. You get a year worth of the strip and then it'd stick together. But what's interesting is if you go back to like the 1920s, especially in Britain and Australia, the annual becomes a big deal around Christmas. And if you collect, you know, certain comics, you run into Christmas annuals that are like hardback collections, um, which is actually how I got the, the only copy I own of uh, Dell Comics Black Hole number four. It didn't come out in America because the first three issues tanked. It did come out collected in a British annual. So basically what it is, is it goes back to the old days of, you know, regular publishing like Harper's Bazaar and stuff like that, where they would do an annual book looking back at the year. When it comes to comics, the annuals are, yeah, exactly that, to get your money. Dating back to the 40s, you'll see like Archie Comics kind of started really doing annuals regularly in comics. And in the 80s and 90s, especially at Marvel and DC, you would see, you know, the line-wide annuals like Atlantis Attacks or... Um, the DC JL ape storyline where all the mm-hmm. superheroes turned into monkeys. Yeah. Th- those are great, but it, it, they come and go, they cycle in and out. They were big in like 84 to 87 and they died for a while and they came back, you know, early to mid nineties. Um, now they're back in, but it's frustrating. You know, if you look at Marvel, Marvel has actually done new Avengers annual number one, three times in the past seven years even though there's only been two volumes of new Avengers to have new Avengers annual number one from. So I'm not sure how the, how the logic and the math works, but you know, what are you going to do? But yes, they, they don't matter per se, but they're oh. really great. Well, well, I mean, again, I guess it depends. I mean, d- d- yeah. don't we see like uh, JSA and JLA crossover mm-hmm. in their annuals, the uh, yearly uh, Earth uh, 1 and Earth uh, 2 crossovers. That wasn't an annual thing until about 84. That actually took place in the JLA comic proper mm-hmm. from 71 to about 83. But yeah, you get, well, and what's great about them, and what I remember from my youth is you get a complete story right? in a, in a big double-sized issue. They're great for summer traveling, throw the kids in the back of the station wagon with no seatbelts and some comic books and tell them to shut up. But I, the thing that's, if you go back to the old school annuals, when you say, do they matter? They were usually weird things mm-hmm. like uh, the X-Men's baseball game right? would show up. And you had that episode where the X-Men had their baseball game and the impossible man showed up and it turned into this wacky romp across the universe and just Claremont going, hey, let's throw in uh, all this cool stuff. So, I don't know. Well, uh, and it, it really depends because some 
writers or some editors or whatever um, do use the annual as a launching point for stories. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they use it as new characters. uh, Yeah. To introduce new characters or like as an aside to an ongoing story. And sometimes things that are going to be relevant later in the story appear first in the annual is just, they're not necessarily relevant. And then, you know, from what I've seen, Sometimes the annual is just an is just the next double sized issue. It's like yeah, yeah. the it's like issue thirteen of that run, except it's like double sized. It's kind of like the the sweeps sometimes, uh, issue. Yeah. Sometimes they have the uh, they just have a bunch of stories that are too short to make yeah. a full size issue. So they just mm-hmm. I remember there's a lot of flash stories that mm-hmm. kind of wound up in annuals that way. So and the the annuals in in Marvel parlance a lot of times were places to represent important stories you get reprints of stories right, right. where they stay in circulation um and i actually wolfman and perez on uh, new teen titans around 81 82 started using the annual and i actually blame them for bringing it back in the 80s because the first teen titans annual introduced the vigilante which became a big part of teen titans lore for a while the third one wrapped up the judas contract they did four issues, and like Rodrigo said, they the annual was the big double sized finale, you know, their their movie to go with the six seasons, for lack mm-hmm. of a better metaphor. Zach, you have any thought on yeah, annuals? Yeah, uh, when I don't, I mean, obviously, I don't have a bunch of experience with them, but when DC did the New Fifty Two launch, mm-hmm. uh, the one annual I did read was the Batman one, which kind of defined the nature of Mister Freeze in the new universe. Which was out, uh, which is a breakaway from the Court of Owls storyline that was going on right then. I mean, so that was nice. And I think in that case, uh, which is the only one I really read, they took a chance to define the new universe that they decided to make within their yeah. continuity, which I thought was which was the good stuff. Because they, I mean, they changed Free's character, really. Yeah. yeah. They're great for those day in the limelight stories, especially right. if, you're, right. if you're relaunching somebody. Um, the, the recent Batgirl annual was all about Poison Ivy. And it was a really good Poison Ivy story being told as you know, almost like a backdoor pilot mm-hmm. uh, in this Batgirl issue, which I thought was kind of neat. Cool. Uh, Eddie in Pittsburgh says, with all the news about the latest Star Wars film swirling about, I was wondering, in your opinions, what storylines could sour the movie? Where do you hope the film doesn't go? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I hope they don't go down the line where... Uh, Boba Fett crawls out of the Sarlacc pit or no, the entire movie is Boba Fett in the Sarlacc pit trying to get out crawling. It's like, it's like, uh, and, 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 uh, the, the new Boba Fett is played by James Franco and, you know, he has to cut off his arm in order to get out of the the trap. 122 parsecs. Yes. That's what it will be called. That's what I hope they don't do. Rodrigo. I I think, uh, I don't think they're going to go with any of the, you know, all the, uh, Expanded universe stuff oh, no, has been no, flushed no, away, no, so no, you can forget about like the Thrawn trilogy or anything sure, like sure. that. Um, I, I guess, uh, in a, in a sense, one of the things that went wrong with the prequels is that I I feel that they were really caught up in the Star Warsiness of it instead of really being their own stories. They were like busy trying to set up this thing that wasn't even all that relevant in the original trilogy. So my biggest concern about these movies is that they're going to be like all about Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and like their kids and like how important like the 
Skywalker solo legacy is, and it's up to you to save the universe, son, and stuff like that. Like, I, I hope that they're just brand new stories and yeah. that they don't get completely bogged down on that stuff. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah no, that, it's not going to happen. No, that, I was hoping they were going to do a departure from the first six whatever you want to call it. Mm. Uh, but that's obviously not going to happen as they're bringing back the three and they're going to be, they're going to be impactful in some manner. Uh, obviously we don't know what the scope of their roles are, or how much they're going to be featured in the film, but they are in there. I hope Han and Leia so are like something. Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru, you know, just hold up on Tatooine. <laughs> they die in a fire. <laughs> and you know, her daughter wants to go join the rebel, or the rebels or whatever that they're, they're called. <laughs> And it's just Over like, my no. so, it, so it's just episode four, but with new people. Basically. Well, that's probably what it would be. I'm sure. Matthew? <laughs> I hope that they don't kick us in the face with references to the previous movies. Yeah. I hope well, that they I, can, going they can to, give us something. But that can't be the only thing. I mean, Rodrigo nailed it. The problem with the prequels, the basic problem with the prequels was, if you look at the structure of uh, Re- Revenge of the Clones, Send in the Clones, that first episode, whatever it was. Oh, that's Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace is set up to where its actual structure mirrors that of Star Wars down to the point where Anakin blows up a satellite with some miracle shot at the end to the point where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I get it. You, you stop hitting me with the parallel. This is Luke's father. I understand this is Luke's father. What else you got? By the end of, you know, those those three movies, it just felt like they were really caught up in their own mythology. They need to forge some new territory. They need to give us new characters doing new things that are just as awesome, you know, as objectively as you could do that. Because no matter what, there are going to be new people who say that new characters suck. It's going to be Skywalker but, babies. But you got to you can't do Skywalker babies. Sure you can. No, you can't. It All right. It'll be, be solo babies then. It'll disappear up its own butt. They do and have it some, will not be successful. They do have some standalone movies uh, in the works as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could get your what happened to uh, 30 years on Dagobah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you could get that storyline. Uh, you could get uh, uh, the Kessel Run and under 12 parsecs. That could mm-hmm. be the title of another one. And that's a uh, that's not a Han Solo movie. That is a um, uh, what's his name? Cloud City. Uh, oh, Lando Calrissian. That's a Lando Calrissian movie. Yeah. I have a, I have a, one, one of my friends was like. She she had a really good point, and I'm and, I, and I'm like down a hundred percent with it. She was like, "I wish that the only person that they had brought back from the original movies was Lando Calrissian. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish that he was the only one who was back to kind of bridge that gap. And then from there on out, it was just brand new people. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it, and I was like, "Yeah, that would be great because Lando was really involved, right? Um, as the story went along, but he's also not." that like he's a bridge but he's a rope bridge right you know he's he's not the golden gate bridge which you keep looking at Mm -hmm. for miles and miles even as you drive away from it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh let's see it would be great to hear mason watching classic films with zach uh continues uh this is from paul um, I'm not sure because he can get bored pretty easily. Yeah, so, yeah or scared. I don't. Yeah. Well, I you mean, don't want to. You don't. You don't want somebody his age watching Raging Bull. He would probably yeah. be okay with it because he knows that if it gets too bloody, he'll just say, mm. "This is getting too bloody. I don't want to watch anymore." Um, I don't know if that was the case, and and, I, and sometimes he gets bored 
I think he just kind of tunes out and tries to mm-hmm. find excuses for not watching anymore. I don't know if that was the case with um, the X-Men Days of Future Past movie because we had to walk out like right when the action started. Mm-hmm. He was just, just like, I don't, he, he was just like, Dad, I don't feel good and wanted to go home. And I, we got home and he wasn't sick. Yeah. But we had to leave halfway through the movie and it's like right at the point when they're stopping Mystique. Right. Oh, man. And it's like, yeah, there's like a whole oh, other man. hour of action that comes on after that. And then I haven't uh, seen it, so I won't get to see that. Oh, but, so he knows ew. a little upset about that. Um, so I don't know if he'd be able to handle some of the classic movies because a lot of it he doesn't. I mean, he's a very smart kid. Let me tell you that oh, right yeah. now. And that's not a father bragging on his son because yeah, uh, yeah. I can yeah, brag yeah. on him in other ways. No, I um, brag on him, too. He's a smart kid. He, he's very smart and he understands the nuances of things. Uh, for example, Dr. Brad Will is on um, the most recent uh, Munchkinland episode. And after he left last night, he's like, Dad, uh, why is he called Dr. Will? And I said, well, he's a he's a doctor, not a doctor, like medical doctor. And then he, he stops him and he's just like, oh, it's because he's really smart and he works at a school. I'm like, yeah. And so he understands that stuff. But relationship stuff, I don't think he would understand or, like care, Casa, or, or care about or care about like yeah. Casablanca that we review this week on Zach on film. I mean, the more yeah. I watch that movie, the greater it becomes. But he would just be like, yeah. but also, is, but also, yeah. but also no action happens. Yeah. In and there's no nuance. I mean, uh, he would not understand the nuance yeah. and the subtle yeah. innuendos that are made in a lot of the dialogue. So I don't know if, if that would work, but Paul but I says, I want to expose him to things like the language and the, the violence of like you know, apocalypse, <laughs> apocalypse now, now apocalypse now or something like driver. taxi driver or something like that. Uh, but Paul does say, how about Zach watching some of Mason's favorite films too? Um, <laughs> Zach's already seen Zach, Mason's favorite films. Yeah. They're yeah, the sure he has. They're, yeah if, if Zach was going to put together a list and Mason was going to put together a list, I think those lists would be surprisingly similar. It'd be like Lego movie frozen. Uh, fun. Uh, what is he really into cars? He loves watching cars. Cars is, cars is good. Um, what's the one that he's like really hung up on as far as movies go? He's back into the Aquabats again. That's not a movie, but that's mm. a TV series that he's back into, which I approve of. Um, he's into the Marvel cinematic stuff. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's been following through all those movies. He's finished with the Avengers. Now he's ready for Iron Man three. Oh no, he already watched Iron Man three. And so now he's ready for Thor dark world and Captain America winter soldier. So those are the movies that he's ready for. So, um, I would imagine that all the movies that are his favorite movies, um, Caillou's Christmas adventure are also on Zach's list as well. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Zach does love the Caillou. Yeah. There you go, Paul. Um, so, yeah, it, I don't want to overexpose him to stuff, although I think he's already become addicted and it's kind of gone to his, <laughs> head, to his head. So we got I just want to kind of limit his exposure to people, especially when he's well under 18. Um, I just, yeah, yeah. you know, I know all of our major spoilers listeners are really, really cool, but mm-hmm. not you know, everyone is. Yeah, not everyone in the world is. So that's me being the overprotective father. Uh, not overprotective. Eddie, protective enough, sir. Yeah. Um, oh, Eddie writes back again and has another question. Traditionally, comic book superhero movies have already established villains as the foils. You fellas think that there is possible that it's possible or profitable for movie creators to introduce brand new, never before seen villains in future superhero movies. And would the comic book fan base accept them? I think it might be nice to see someone or something new. And I'd like to get your opinions. Yeah, you can do it. You can do yeah. it because nobody knows who Whiplash is. Right. Nobody mm-hmm. knows who Crimson Dynamo is, and nobody knows that they both got churned into the same guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, you can totally do it. And if you do something like, you know, Harley Quinn comes from outside the DC universe mm-hmm. and was brought in because she was well done, 
She was a solid character. She was an interesting concept. I think the problem that you're going to run into is they really want to sell these comic book type movies to the comic book fans first so that we all start talking about it. This is my theory on Dawn of Justice, by the way. They want us talking and want us, you know, really going, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. So that the general public, you know, the normal people, hears all this and go, oh, well, maybe I'll go check out this new Iron Man movie. Yeah. And if you bring up something, you you know, you're like, this is a character no one has ever seen before. You're really going to have to sell us on a good hook. Now, well, that said, yeah. almost every major superhero villain, as seen on TV or in the movies, is a brand new, never before seen yeah, character. Yeah, exactly. And especially if you look at even the great ones, Jack Nicholson's Joker is not the Joker from the comics. First of all, we know who he is. We know what his backstory is. The character does not act like or look like or even physically resemble depictions of the Joker. Doesn't make him any less of an awesome character. It makes, you know, he carries that movie. Jack well, Nicholson think, picks up that movie sure. and carries it with him. And I think he's, he's talking about, you know, is it is it going to work for the comic book fan base? I think the comic book fan base could care less who the bad guy is. Mm-hmm. They just no, want to see who some the, of them, some of them their care. hero is. is. Oh, I, I mean, that's care. true. Uh, oh, it's true. The, the hero is more important. Um, but uh, okay the... Yeah, I'm fine. The, um, the villain... I mean, there's, there's people who are going to care, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. People, people are pretty hung up on the fact that Quicksilver is going to be in two in different two movies. movies right, you know, right. so, yeah. Well, but, it, but, but I guess here's the thing, too, is from the studio's standpoint, and this is going to be mean, but they could give two craps uh, yeah. because there are 100,000 of you who are comic book fans, but there are millions of people who are going to go see the movie. Mm-hmm. So when you represent less than 1%, of the potential viewing audience, the needs of those comic book fans outweigh the dollars. Yeah, but in the end, in the end, that stuff comes down to the writers because True. the studios find a writer and they say, write this. And then it's yes, up to the right. writer, you know, with the producer and the director kind of like putting stuff together. Um, like the studio heads don't say, wait a minute. <laughs> There's wait no. a minute, that's the that's not Whiplash, that's the Crimson Dynamo. Right. You know, they're like, wait a minute, what's this metal control that Magneto's doing? Right. That's right. not actually how his powers are supposed look, to work. If you want to know if it's profitable, look at Michael Bay's Transformers movie. The only, uh, really, the only resemblance between Transformers as done by Michael Bay and Transformers in any other iteration is the fact that there is a character named Optimus Prime who turns into a truck and is voiced by Peter Cullen. That mm-hmm. is the extent of his pandering. And, to the and in fact, he doesn't turn into the same truck. He doesn't turn into the right kind of truck. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But that, you know, that's another rant. And if you get me started on that, my heart will explode. The only thing I would worry about, well, again, it's a small fan base is that they create a new villain. Everyone just starts Saying, "Oh, that's just a ripoff of this and this and this." Right. I mean, which right. essentially Rodrigo kind of points up happens now, but uh, that I feel like almost people take more offense to. Besides, just like make it a original character or a new, or crap, take it from the crap original on an character. original yeah, comic yeah, yeah, book yeah, character yeah, yeah. as opposed don't, to create something. Don't that, create yeah. some weird amalgam of three yeah, characters yeah. and make it horrible. If you if you do something to if you can make a villain with the same level of 
skill that they put into, say, a Harley Quinn or, you know, more to the point, Phil Coulson, mm-hmm. who didn't mm-hmm. exist before the Marvel Cinematic right. Universe, but has migrated into the comics right. as a beloved character. Right. If you can do that with a villain, if you can do it, you know, deftly and without, again, crapping on, you know, if you have a guy who wears a red helmet, has magnetic powers, but you call <laughs> him Magneto, you're going to have a problem. But if you can do something new or, you know, vaguely new, because there's no Something at least unique, something that works. I think that, yeah, you can sell it. You can make money with that. And I think that the fans will accept it if it makes for an awesome story. And, this, mm-hmm. you know, the metaphor is believable. Uh, who are your favorite villains? All, who are your favorite all-time villains? Be it from movies, comics, TVs, and so on. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I love Eddie, his personal favorite. Eddie says his personal favorites are Lex Luthor and Victor Newman from Young and the Restless. Boom. Hmm. Um, you know, I like Lex Luthor as a villain. Um, John Sunlight from Doc Savage. I mentioned him earlier. Um, I'm trying to think of like villain, villain, villains, guys that just like. Eh, I mean, for for me, um, it it's difficult to think of a better villain than uh, Glados from Portal. Yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah, like that. That is just such an amazing. Uh, characterization, mm-hmm. um, you know, really strongly based on like other computer characters that mm-hmm. that have come before, but synthesized in just such a great way. With like, it's like all of the coldness and intelligence of Hal, with like a sense of humor mm-hmm. that is like mm-hmm. really just kind of its own thing. Yeah, the yeah. mean spirits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I've always, I, always, I mean, I always have a personal place in my heart for darth maul just because i thought he was the coolest thing Mm -hmm. ever (laughs) when i was about eight and now that i'm 22 pretty much still the coolest thing ever uh video games too i think handsome jack from borderlands 2 was a really interesting character that was horribly ruthless and funny and had this weird personal story in the end that made him really interesting uh so i i enjoyed him a lot in that game i'd probably throw darth vader on that list Darth Vader? Yeah. Yeah. Matthew, what about you? See, I I would say, first of all, no offense to Eddie, because Eddie's Eddie's definitely got his stuff together. Victor Newman is not a patch on Stefano Dumera from Days of Our Lives. Mm. Full-fledged, flat-out, cackling comic book supervillain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lunatic. Lunatic supervillain. I like Mordru from the Legion of Superheroes, because Mm. you put Mordru in there. Mordru is like an old school arcane crazy comic book guy in this shiny, shiny future story. And he's all about death and magic and corruption in the midst of this, you know, shiny, happy future filled with push buttons. I love that. I do really love uh, Dr. Hans Reinhardt from the black hole. And I recently started realizing that he is the same character as uh, the crazy captain. I can't remember his name now from 20,000 leagues under the sea. Uh, it's actually Captain Nemo. Uh, yeah, Nemo. The the Disney version of Captain Nemo is played by James Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the the exact same character. The the obsessed guy who takes the ship that he doesn't own and goes off on this crazy mission and does the thing. And I I love that that obsession, that just single minded psychosis to where it he's not just the hero of his own story in his mind. If you look at him, half the audience could say yes, I agree. He's doing the right thing. He's trying to expand everybody's life through science. And he's also bug F crazy. So that's kind of neat. 
you guys uh you guys remember that the old 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 um Captain America cartoon mm-hmm. the one where like where, where, where like it's like stills yeah, and yeah, like yeah. it like zooms into <laughs> them and only the right, mouth right, moves right, kind right, of right. stuff Clutch cargo mouths yeah exactly so um in that one there's that like Ultimo robot it's like rejoice I am Ultimo <laughs> and like the whole the whole time is just Captain America trying to stop him it's the same thing with like uh, Spider Man. Uh, no one can stop the Juggernaut. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and it's like that character, like the Juggernaut in that story, is great. Later on, when they gave him more, when they gave him more personality, and they kind of started fleshing him out, they made him a little dumber, and they like changed stuff around mm-hmm. because it's right. difficult to just always write that story. You can't. But it's like yeah. right then at that moment where it's like the Juggernaut just kind of like walking, and Spider Man just like grabbing onto his like arm like trying to tug on him that is a great villain and like again the giant robot that like captain america keeps throwing his shield at and nothing happens that's that's yeah. great that's like great storytelling right there cool all you right listeners like? go ahead oh i'm sorry i thought we were i didn't remember i really like and and rodrigo has actually mentioned how this is a bad storytelling technique in the past but i love the way they do this in um god help me uh kaizoku sentai kaiju the main villain is this spoiled, rotten prince, alien prince. He's a coward. He's a braggart. He's a blowhard. He's an idiot. But he keeps doing all these things, and he has these weird, quiet moments of nobility where he and his robot pet are like he, off by themselves, and he's like, no one takes me seriously but you. And it's this really weird, poignant moment. And then, of course, he gets blown away, and his evil, evil father shows up and is the actual villain of the piece. But for like three quarters of the story... You have this idiot just kind of dancing around and being an idiot, but he's still the most dangerous villain in the universe. And I, I really kind of like that goofball as, you know, destroyer of worlds kind of phenomenon. That's neat. Cool. Listeners, thank you for writing in. If you've got questions, comments, thoughts, ideas, all you need to do is uh, put them in an email and address that to podcast at majorspoilers.com. And in a uh, couple of weeks, we'll dive back into that mailbag and we'll pull out some more and pull out some more just general discussion stuff. We're doing, doing something different. Uh, many of you've noticed, and I think a lot of people have liked it, uh, uh this new rotation. Uh, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the major spoilers experience next week. If I've got everything finalized and if everything comes off, we're going to be uh, talking with Ashley V Robinson. You may know her from some of her writing here on Majorspoilers.com. There's another story that you may not know about her, and we'll be talking about that next week on the Major Spoilers Podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. If you have questions or comments, feel free to send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. You can follow Major Spoilers on Twitter, at Major Spoilers. Like us on Facebook and share your thoughts about comic books and pop culture by using the comment section on any post at Majorspoilers.com. If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. 
bad, bad way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. If I'm strong, raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers is copyright 2014